Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so Matthew 19, 1. Um, and if you are looking at the heading, it's going to be a fun one. Um, so when Jesus had finished saying these things, now let me just read back so we can kind of get the... Um, Nope, not going to do that. So when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I'll tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Um, So before we get into this uh, too far, um, I do want to address a few things. I think um, we ignore passages like this in the Bible, or at least we don't talk about them in church. Um, because, let's be honest, there are people in church who are divorced. Um, and this isn't to make anyone feel bad. It's not to make anyone feel judged in any way at all. Um, we can't avoid hard topics. This is kind of the beauty of going through the Bible all the way is, is we can't avoid hard topics. Jesus wasn't afraid to say things uh, that maybe people didn't want to hear. Um, and and so I'm not doing this to make anyone feel bad. Um, if you're divorced and it makes you feel bad, there might be some stuff you need to bring to God. Because I know, you know, there are people in my life who are divorced and, and God's redeemed it and God has used it. And it's not, um, it's no longer a curse upon them. And they've been healed. Okay, so, um, and, we, and we have to address these things because we are still supposed to preach the truth. We still have to teach people the way they are to go, people who haven't been married yet, people who are married now. We have to address these things um, so that they know the way they're to go. But this sermon isn't all about marriage, okay? Um, Just so you know, it's important for, and it's important for all of us to understand what we're talking about today, and I'll get into that. You'll see that. So here we go. All right, so here we see the Pharisees have come again asking Jesus a random question unrelated to what he was talking about. The Pharisees kind of remind me of children. Um, as a soccer coach yesterday, um, I, we, we were in the playoffs, and I'm telling the kids, giving them a, a rousing speech, telling them what they always do wrong and what not to do and what they need to do, and you always get a kid that's like, I have a question. And... And maybe at the beginning of the season, I was like, what's your question? And now I'm like, does it have anything to do with anything that I'm talking about right now? Does it have anything to do? I actually made my niece cry last time I practiced. And she was like, I think so. And I was like, but I saw her face kind of contort. And I was like, say what, okay, say what you need to say. Um, but this time, I was like, go ahead, ask your question. And they asked me some question that has nothing to do with anything, what I was talking about, just like I said. And I said, 
Get out of my face, kid. I didn't say that really. But but it's just kind of like the Pharisees. The Pharisees continue to ask questions about things that he's not talking about. So you know, you know they haven't really been listening to what he's been saying. You know, when someone's talking and all of a sudden you're talking to someone and they come with a question that has nothing to do with anything that you're talking about, which I never do when my wife is speaking. But you realize, well, there, this person's not really listening to me. So it's like evidence the Pharisees aren't listening, but it's something, it's their latest trap, something they've been contriving to trick Jesus, to trap Jesus. And so let's talk about how, how this is a trap, why they would use this particular thing to, to bring before Jesus as a trap. First of all, he could get in trouble with the Roman powers that be. If you remember, John the Baptist was killed, beheaded, because for his public opinions on marriage, for the things that he had said about Herod and his new wife um, and, and how it was against God, and he had said that. And so the new wife's daughter, they come up with a plan to get John the Baptist beheaded over the anger that he caused by talking about marriage and divorce. So Jesus could get in trouble with the Roman powers, but also it could alienate, his answer will alienate half of the Jewish population based on what he says. Um, and which is why we avoid things like this today because we're afraid to alienate people. Um, but Jesus was never afraid of it. Um, and so first, before we get into um, those beliefs concerning divorce, we have to talk about their beliefs concerning marriage, uh, how the Jews saw marriage. No nation had a higher view of marriage at this particular time than the Jews. Um, marriage, they believed, was a sacred duty. They thought that if you were over the age of 20 and unmarried, that you were breaking God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply, that you were in sin and, and in disobedience, okay? When really, you're just a headstrong girl like Elizabeth, and you just need to find the right man. <laughs> Pride and prejudice joke, guys. Um, I won't go into all of it, but the Jewish laws of marriage and purity aimed high, um, and so if you see something in the Bible, like with King David or something, or even in the Old Testament, where you're like, well, that doesn't seem like a biblical view of marriage. That doesn't seem uh, like very uh, pure or, or noble. They didn't always do what God told them to do. Just because we see someone do something in the Bible doesn't mean God approved it. And God said, yes, you should do that, King David. It's not what happened, okay? They're just like us. They're humans. They make mistakes. So just because we see someone do something in the Bible doesn't mean it's biblical, okay? Just take note of that. So they believed that if you weren't married by 20, you were breaking God's commandment. Um, but uh, we also have to take note that just because um, that even though they had high marriage ideals, right? We all have high ideals. Um, great ideals don't always turn into reality. And there, there are so many other things. They had so many rules, um, nitpicky rules about um, who could marry, when they could marry. And there were a lot of protections in there for women, um, I'm not going to go into them right now, but even though they had these high ideals uh, for purity and, and what, what the man should provide, what the, what the woman should be, all these stipulations for them to be married, um, divorce was still really easy, okay? E even easier than it is for us today. I don't know how many times I've driven down the road and seen like, like a garage sale sign in the side of the road that says like divorce, $50, you know, and you're all like, wow, I can't believe it's so cheap. Um, it, but it was, it was easier at this time, and we'll kind of get into that. Um, and there's two main schools of thought amongst the Jews concerning divorce 
based on the same scripture, same exact scripture interpreted two different ways. And it's in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she loses his favor because he has found something indecent or unacceptable about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and after she leaves his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, and then her former husband who first sent her away, he may not take her again as his wife since she's been defiled, for that is an outrage before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So this is the law of Moses that the Pharisees are referring to. And we might read this and believe that God is giving the Israelites permission to give their wives a certificate of divorce and go away and make it easy for them, but this is not what's happening. Um, This law is given uh, to protect the women. And what Jesus is pointing out about this law is that um, this wasn't given so that a man could throw his wife to the curb whenever he wanted to. Um, God's design was for one man and one woman to become one flesh in marriage. Okay, but they did whatever they wanted to. They did what was right in their own eyes. So this law, what was happening, and I actually had talked about this a while back, And we went in depth about it, but in case you weren't there, I'll kind of sum it up for you. So at the time, because it was so easy, they would just be like, hey, I'm going to divorce you, send you out. Another guy, because they were so pure and they believed in in, in sex only within marriage. And so they would just divorce, marry, have sex, divorce, see what I'm saying? And they would just toss them back and forth because they had no rights. So this isn't God being like, yes, it's okay, do that. He's saying like, okay, we're going to put a stop to that. Right, Because as we all know, you can make a law, but people will break that law. And then it's like, well, what happens when that law is broken? We need to protect the victims of that law. So this law happening here that Moses is saying is protecting the women from being tossed back and forth like that. They're like, no, no, no. You, if you divorce her, you're divorcing her for good. You're not going to send her out and then take her back and send her out and take her back and just like trade off with her. Trade off with her. She's not just like property like that. Because these guys, because there was the women had no rights, um, the guys were taking full advantage of that. Um, and so God is giving them protection. Um, because the Israelites, what are they doing, really? They're trying, to seek, they're trying to seek a way around God's law. They're obeying the letter of the law without obeying the intent of the law, which, which is kind of familiar. That's something that we kind of do sometimes too. So all this time later, there's two different interpretations Concerning what can be considered, because he said, if you turn, if you give your wife a certificate of of divorce, because you find her indecent or unacceptable, so now the the battle between these two different schools of thought is okay. What is what do they mean by that? What does God mean by indecent or unacceptable? And the and the first school, the school of Shammai, which if you're taking notes, is S H A M M A I. They believe that something objectionable or unacceptable could only mean fornication. And that was the only reason that one could divorce their wife. But the school of Hillel believed that this could be interpreted as anything that the man didn't like. Like if she made dinner that he didn't like, that she went with her hair unbound, or even if he just saw another woman that he thought was more beautiful, then then that was... So which one do you think was the more popular school of thought amongst the people? The last one. 
right? Of course, because we, that's the easier one to follow, okay? So people were divorcing right and left, totally disregarding what God truly wanted. And this is what, this is what always happens. We, we want God to adapt to us. We always want God to adapt to us. We want the Bible to adapt to what we think. We want the Bible to give us permission to what we want to do. Do you know that throughout history, there has been different schools of thought concerning interpretations of the Bible? That's why we have different denominations, because people have different interpretations, and, and, and they've gone back and forth on it forever. Do you know one thing they've never really argued about was homosexuality until now? Because it's what culture is doing. It's never been like, oh, I read that a different way. It's just something that we're adapting to the culture. What do people want? What is easier? And this happened, this happened then too. And Jesus has come to set us straight to show us what God's heart is concerning marriage. He says, Adam and Eve were created for each other. Their union was complete and unbreakable. And Jesus is saying, this is the pattern God wanted us to follow. They are to become one flesh. Okay, that's what that Spice Girls song, When Two Become One, it's about a biblical view of marriage. That's what it is. Um, and I always knew that. Um, but the Jewish word for marriage was uh, kiddushin, which is K-I-D-D-U-S-H-I-N. This is their word for marriage. And the word means sanctification or consecration. It was a word that was used to designate that something was totally surrendered to God. So their word for marriage meant consecrated to God, sanctified for God. Um, and I do want everyone to note that it says there, the man and the woman leave their families and become one. And, and even in this, we have it a little bit wrong because you hear people say all the time when people are getting married, we're like, well, we're just so happy to be welcoming a son. We're so happy to be welcoming a new daughter into our family. But that's not actually what's happening. They are leaving their families and becoming one. They're becoming a new family, okay? And a lot of heartache can be saved through the understanding of that, that they're creating a new family, right? And not joining um, into their family. That's why Daisy and I, when we got married for five years, we completely cut off our families, and we didn't. I'm just kidding. Um, but they're starting their family. They're, but being consecrated to each other and unto God comes with some serious consequences. And it's why it has to be entered into with a great deal of thought. It can't, it can't be entered into, hear me Christians, hear me young Christians. It can't be entered into to satiate an urgent physical desire. You know what I'm saying? Right? Okay? You won't just be doing one thing together. Okay? You'll be doing everything together throughout your entire life. Okay, I had, um, we, when we toured, like a lot of times we would stay in houses that would, they had this network of houses where you, they would let bands stay there. We stayed in this house in New Orleans with another band that we were touring with. And they were, um, they were really close friends. Um, and Daisy was always the only girl. So up in the attic, they had like a bunch of single beds. It was like an orphanage <laughs> for band members. And so we, we, were all, we were all sleeping there and like, uh, I don't know what it is. I'm not that person. I'm the person that like when the lights go out and then someone starts talking, I'm like, oh, we're trying to sleep. Okay, I'm not like the fun guy at sleepovers. I'm like, who's talking? Who's talking to me right now? The lights are off for a reason. Um, and they're like, hey, so like, what's marriage like? Like, what, 
what do you uh like Nathan and Daisy? What's different about like because me and me and um whatever his name is Kyle, we're like best friends. We do everything together. What's so different about marriage? And I was like, well, I can think of one thing. Um, no. I was like, well, I can bet you Kyle's not spending every day of his life thinking about how you can better yourself and what kind of projects you can work on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but I was like, look, it's different. It's different because everything that happens to you affects them. Everything that happens to them affects you. You are with each other through thick and thin, through good and bad. You will, you will share tears. You will share joys. Like, um, it's a serious, serious deal. You're married through the glamour, through heartache. You walk beside each other when you're tired and weary, when you're not at your best, when money is tight, when, when bills become a problem, when the children are crying, when you haven't slept. And that's when you really come to find out what love is and what this person is, who this person is beside you. You see what it really means when you say for better or worse till death do you part, Right? When you say that and you you're first get married or when you're in premarital counseling, you're just like, this is never going to happen to us. I don't know what they're even saying. Like, we are so in love. But you come to understand the longer you're married, um, for better or worse, till death do you part. But it's not just a saying. It's a covenant with God. That, that's what we're saying is the covenant with God. In uh, Louisiana, uh, which is how people say it when you're from there, uh, they have something called a covenant marriage. And I only know about it because recently the media was kind of mocking a politician who was in a covenant marriage, and they were like, this guy's an idiot, because um, that's what they do. Um, and although it's an option in, in Louisiana, and I'm going to read what, what it is, um, only 2% of people enter into a covenant marriage. But 84% say that they're Christians, okay? So let me tell you the stipulations of this crazy covenant marriage, okay? One, they have to state that they understand that this marriage is for life. Okay, so basically we're like, okay, you're saying something. Are you an idiot? Do you understand what you're saying? I throw the word idiot around a lot. I'm sorry. I call people idiots. I still love them. I don't call you an idiot. Why would you raise your hand? All right. I wasn't talking to my wife. Um, So they have to state that they understand this marriage is for life. They have to say that they've told each other anything that could adversely affect the other. So they've been honest with each other. This contract is crazy. They must have premarital counseling. They agree to go to counseling if any marital issues arise before seeking a divorce. But this stipulation is not needed if there is adultery, physical or sexual abuse of spouse or children, drug or alcohol abuse, severe ill treatment, or felony or or imprisonment. That's a covenant marriage. I hate to break it to them. That is marriage. That is what a marriage is. But no one signs up for that one, only 2%. They're like, that's, they're like the disciples. They're like, that's crazy. So what you're saying is it's better not to be married than to do all that, right? That, that's what the disciples said. I guess it's better not to, to get married if you got to do all that. It shows where we are that we've had to add a covenant marriage. Because marriage, and it shows as Christians how we understand this covenant of marriage. Um, that we've had to add something and say, well, that's a covenant marriage. Marriage was created by God. It is a covenant. Um, and we need to understand, the reason we're kind of going into this, we need to understand the depth involved in a covenant with the living God. How does God see a covenant that he's made? See, when we enter into a covenant in marriage, 
a covenant with God. We're entering into a contract with God. He's the ultimate authority. So we're entering into a contract with each other and with God or a covenant. But when God enters into a covenant with us, see, we're, we're doing it. He's the greater authority. But when he enters into a contract with us, just like he did with Abraham, he has nothing to swear on greater than himself. So he is making a covenant with himself that he will be true to himself. And so we need to understand what a covenant is to God, especially in marriage, because throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible, in many of Jesus' teachings, marriage is used to describe God's relationship with us. That's why we need to understand that covenant, because Jesus uses it all the time to describe his relationship with the church, his relationship with us. And I think one of the most poignant examples of the covenant between God and his people comes by way of the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament. And if you know what occurs in Isaiah, you know this is going to be so much fun. Um, does anyone know what happens with Hosea? All right, what's up? It's true. Good job. Um, okay. So that's what happens when you raise your hand. You get, you get positive reinforcement from your pastor. Good job. Star, star on your paper. Um, all right, so Hosea 1, 2, and 3. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take for yourself a wife of prostitution and have children with her. For the land commits great acts of prostitution by not following the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Can you imagine when you're in your little prayer closet and God's like, I want you to go marry a prostitute? Would you be like, I need to check that. I need to check that. Satan, get behind me. I know that's got nothing to do with the living God. You know that Hosea had to like pray a few times. He's like putting like sheep wool on the grass and like do looking for dew. Like I need like some positive affirmation, Lord, that this is you. And so Hosea does it. He goes and he marries a prostitute and has children with her. Um, and he tells him, God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute. Who would be unfaithful to him? He knew that he would be unfaithful to him and cause him great heartache as an example to the people of Israel of their relationship with him. He wanted his prophet Hosea to understand what he goes through with his people. And so he marries Gomer, this woman by all standards, but especially Jewish standards, who is already defiled, not worthy of being selected by anyone, much less a man of God. He would have lost some, some social standing by marrying a prostitute. And here she has the opportunity to turn her life around. No matter what she's done in the past, she's now marrying a prophet of God. She has an opportunity to accept this new life all she has to do is be faithful now, but she can't do it. And so she, she again and again uh, leaves, leaves uh, Hosea and goes and, and sleeps with someone. Um, and so God continually sends Hosea out to get her and bring her back. And he has to buy her back something that's already his. It's his to begin with. It's his wife. And then he has to go buy her back. And in this, in this, we can see the Jesus implication. Because you have to remember, Gomer is the people of God. Hosea is God, and he continually, he goes and buys back something that was already his. That has broken his heart. 
who's been the cause of great pain and heartache, and yet he still goes and buys her back. And God says that Israel has a spirit of prostitution in its heart. In Hosea 5.4, it says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. And I think the people of God have this same issue today. We have a spirit of prostitution. Where we, we go back and we commit to this covenant we have with God. And then we run back to the world, and we do what we want, and then we run back to this covenant we have with God, and we run back to the world again and again and again. And we wonder, as we're in sin, without true repentance, why we can't hear his voice. But no matter how many times we've done this, no matter how many times we do it again and again, no matter, no matter that we did not come to him worthy of him in the first place, we didn't come to him worthy of him in the first place. We weren't, we, we weren't an undefiled bride. He knew that we might still cause him heartache, but he paid for us anyway. He takes us back. He honors his covenant with us when we don't honor our covenant with him. And he'll let us follow sin into destruction, just like we talked about last week, but, with only, but only with our good in mind, right? He lets us go to destruction so that for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved. And throughout the chapter, he explains how they have prostituted themselves amongst other gods. And I'm going to read a few snippets, but I encourage you to read the whole thing. Uh, Hosea 4, 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a cha charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge, let no one accuse another... For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother, and my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And then Hosea 11, 1 through 9. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to his cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, 
the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. And watch as, as he speaks, man. God is so amazing. Hosea 14, 1 to 9. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made for in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. God is faithful. Even as he is he's telling the Israelites what they've done, these horrible things, and saying, you've turned from me. And, it, and the more I called you, the more you walked away. And there's this beautiful imagery. God himself is saying, is, is talking to the Israelites like you were like a child that I lifted up to my cheek. You can hear the love he has for his people. He's like, you're my child. I lifted up to you. To you to my cheek. I, I bent down to feed you. I cared for you. I raised you up in your youth. I held your hand and I keep calling you and you keep running from me. And so I'm going to allow these things to happen to you. And as he's talking, you see at the end, but I will tenderly, but I'll tenderly bring them back. I'll bring you back. If you just come back and repent, I will bring you back. You see the great love that God has. And you see this love continued through the act of Jesus. And you see this love continued in us as he continues to call us back. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've sinned, no matter how many times we've walked away from the church, no matter how many times we've cursed his name, no matter how many times we've set a bad example for who he is, he calls us back tenderly and he loves us. I think because we forget this covenant, we get in our heads that there will come a time when we'll have done so much that God will not take us back. We get in our heads that God is disgusted by what he sees. We get in our heads that I've taken too much advantage of his love. I've been false with him. I haven't been honest. But you can see, and I want you to know, those are lies from the pit of hell because God calls us back. Because God will stay true to the covenant. We can break, we can break our covenant with him as many, as many and we do it. Again, we, we prostitute ourselves, sometimes purposely, sometimes accidentally, sometimes we don't mean to. And it always takes us time to come back because we feel like, like what happens when you, when you know you've hurt someone that you love and God is like, you're the child that I lifted up to my cheek and I fed. Come home. Come home. It's this heart, it's his heart that I think Christians, we forget. We forget the love of God. We forget the strength of the covenant that he has made unto us, that he has taken upon himself a covenant that he will not break. 
no matter how many times we break that covenant with each other, no matter how many times we break that covenant with him on our part, he will not break his covenant with us because he is faithful. And that's what I want you to know today in your heart. I had other things, but I think that's just what God wants us to know as his people to understand how much he loves us. That he will always call us home. That he sees us as as a children that we were. He held our hands. He brought us up. And no matter what we've done, no matter what the Israelites became, he remembered them as they were. And he still loved them. And he still desired to make them into who they truly desire to be in their hearts. And he feels the same way for us. He feels the same way for us. You can read that and, and see it spoken like he is speaking to each one of us. He loves you like that. He always calls us home. He'll always accept us no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've run. And as the people of God, for us to become who we need to be, for us to love others like that, for us to accept others like that, we need to understand his love for us and the covenant that he's made with us that he will never, ever, ever break. We can always come back. And he always calls us. He will keep calling until we hear. Lord, I just thank you that you love us so much. I thank you that your love is so good. I thank, I thank you that I turned from you many times. I cursed your name. And yet you still called to me. And as many times you called and I kept walking away. But you continue to call, and it's the love like that that has brought so many of us home. That has caused us to see who you are, Lord. This is why we call you Father. You are so good to us, Lord. I just pray that we, as your people, could get a deep understanding of your love. Get a deep understanding of the covenant that you've made with us, Lord. Thank you that you never break your covenant. Thank you that you are faithful and just, and true. As we begin a season of thanksgiving, that is what we are most thankful for, for your faithfulness, that you paid for something on, you paid on the cross for what was yours already because of our sin, from us walking away. You made a way that we could come home as you continue to call to us, Lord, and we are thankful and we are grateful for who you are because it is who you are that makes you do the things that you do that are so amazing. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.